Hey Zookeepers, what's up? It's one of the Hollywood Kaiju bad boys, Brandon, here to say, guess what? We got another great episode. We got on uh, returning champion John Torres, great Chicago comedian, all-around great funny dude, and we're talking about a North Korean classic kaiju film, Polgasari. Uh, you're going to want to stick around for After the View to explain why it is a very famous film from North Korea. It's crazy shit. As always, if there's any questions you want to ask or any movies you want to recommend, email us at podzookypodcast at gmail.com. That's P-O-D-Z-O-O-K-Y podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, leave a review for us on either Apple iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Anything helps. And uh, tell a friend. I think they'll quite like it. This episode specifically, there's some crazy, crazy history you're about to learn. It's, it's nuts. Anyways, let's get to that. Unto Ghidra, what is Ghidra's? Ten to one, he sees you through a beaker and a tweezers. Read the fine print and be like, what's the big deal? Spun wheels of steel since broke wheel, big wheel. Back when it was greasy as curl, now it's easy dread. Had a rhyme on how they used to tease him about his peasy head. Yes, yes, y'all, to the beat. Have a ball. Because I forgot I wanted to do a song intro like you did last time, which is, it's a nice day for a vor ending. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> I, can't, I can't i can't wait to get to that the ending of this movie oh god um, welcome to Potsuki. i'm one of your co-hosts who just spent five minutes talking about snl that's for sure gonna get cut out because it was super boring and just me talking uh my name's brand i said Number. a lot of stuff too you did but i <laughs> i made it really boring that was my job uh but i'm one of your co-hosts and one of the kaiju uh, hollywood bad boys brandon kirkman i'm another one of your co-hosts luke evans flip and uh, I'm your third co-host, Martin Felschman. Oh my God, who's this? Who's this? We got in the corner over here. A returning champion on this podcast and this economy and this year. Who is it? I think it's me. My name is John Torres. What's up, guys? <laughs> hey, what's up? Hey, yeah. cool. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what did we watch with you when you were on last. Oh time? man, I'm pretty sure it was another one from the '80s where I want to say the kaiju kind of looked like a triceratops. What was that? Oh, that's got to be a gamera, I think. I'm, I think I, that's a gamera. I'm I'm gonna look this up. I probably should have looked this up before. Oh, it was the '90s. Yeah, I believe so I think it was... because I remember it looking really good. Like it had like the bird creatures in the stadium. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was like the first Gamera reboot movie, I think, uh, from like the 90s, which actually was pretty decent. Um, but yeah, we're glad to have you back. Uh, I think it was a really fun episode. We got our sound clip that we use for the Who the Fuck is Ron Canada <laughs> on the podcast now. <laughs> See, I listen to the episode sometimes. I, I don't like think that. I've ever made it to the stupid games portion of the show. I usually stop before that. <laughs> It's like, oh, this is a this is a bad podcast. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I, I I always think about this too. Of like, I, I enjoy your stupid game section, but there are so many podcasts I specifically know when I turn it off. Like for the flop house, I love it, but when I get to the user mail or their their listener the plug mail, bags I just turn it off right stuff. away. <laughs> plug bags and comedy bang bang. Yeah, that's another one too. Oh yeah, no, that's why. Anytime I listen to Podzuki, as soon as I hear a voice, <laughs> right off, <laughs> just turn it off. I, I usually skip. I usually oh. skip the uh, audience part of how did this get made, except for the episode where I sang a second opinion song. I listen to that one. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. You gotta listen, you gotta listen yeah. to your own boy. 
but yeah, we uh, we are we should actually talk about what this is, which is a podcast where we watch big monster movies, kaiju movies, uh, and we watch sometimes this one we're on track because we watched Pulgasari. I want to say it's how it's pronounced, kind of the film. I heard that sounds. Well, I was look, I was doing yeah, that some sounds right to me. Research on this stuff. It is like, like North the creature. I kept seeing it like it's a mythical creature that doesn't look anything like it does in the movie, but it's always written as Bulgasari. Like rather than P. Yeah, they did a real smart writer's move of uh, take out the bean. I was going to say, it did look a lot like a bull, but I couldn't tell because it was kind of like half dragon, half bull type situation. Well, the the, hmm. the mythological creature is like has like the face of an elephant, the body of a lion, the tail of a something. I don't remember. It does not look anything. Yeah. Dick. <laughs> Yeah, the dick of a gorilla, um, you know, all the fun things. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners at home, gorillas have one-inch penises, so it's not a good thing to have depending on your preference. Always great when you got to explain. Anyways, uh, going... Yeah, just, well, I don't know if a lot of people know gorilla penises size, but that's something that's front-loaded into my brain, so I want everyone to share this. Well, Brandon, if they've, listened to this, if they've listened to Podzuki before, they know. We've, I think, no joke, we have talked about gorilla penises on one episode because there is something very entertaining about a tiny <laughs> gorilla penis. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, you know, I always, listen, as a kid, you see a gorilla, you just think that they're going to have a bigger penis because they're, like, pretty big all around. But I guess it's so Scott's in joke gorilla on those, high school, the are they always making jokes know, about how small their, their penis is because that's, like, desirable in gorilla culture? Or maybe, yeah, because if they have a desire to have small penises in Gorilla High School, which is where all the cool Gorilla kids go and hang out, um, maybe it's like the joke's having a big penis because they went with that, like, oh, did you see Josh? He has a huge penis. Yeah. What a fucking <laughs> loser. I think that is God's trick on it because, <laughs> just, like, let's just create an animal that's strong enough to rip trees out of the ground, but let's give it our small penis because that's kind of funny. <laughs> the penis, the thing I invented, like, a day ago. <laughs> <laughs> God, you know what? He's a pretty good comedian. Uh, how's 2020 going for you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Best episode of Punk I've ever seen. It's very true. Well, the funny thing is after we get through this and if we survive, we have to deal with oh, climate yeah. change. Oh, um, yeah, we're not already dealing with that with these fucking um, inland hurricanes and shit. Yeah. The popular sequel <laughs> David Lynch made to Inland Empire. Um yeah, I, to get back on track to actually talk about the movie we mentioned for uh, Pulgasari, um, it is a North Korean film from 1985, and you're probably saying to yourself, North Korean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, who oh boy, do we have a story for you about this production on this film. Um, oh, I mean, let's talk about it first, because like, I, it's a North Korean monster movie, and hearing us say that, you probably kind of know what we're talking about the creators of it were kidnapped by north korea to make movies for north korea yeah specifically kim jong-il uh kidnapped him both huge uh, famous cinephile yeah he uh over a fifteen hundred thousand collection of movies they were saying in the article i was reading about this but we'll we'll get in it's a fun story guys we will get into that this will this is how we we're reeling in the audience. Now we're going to keep them along the ride to get to that story at the end of this shitty film we have to describe now. It's fucking boring. <laughs> it's <bad. laughs> yeah. It's so fucking boring. Sorry, John. It's um, 
It definitely has that syndrome before we start doing the plot of trying to be a lot of things like a period piece film having like that common like bandit versus a corrupt government and then also like a, a sad romantic tale and then of course a kaiju film. Um, and all of the parts they try yeah. to cover, they do poorly. Yeah, no doubt. When, when <laughs> I started... Good. Oh, I, I think if you asked someone like about this film and you asked them like the quality of it, they would probably say, not knowing anything about the background of this film, someone was kidnapped to make this and they are not happy <laughs> while making it. <laughs> That's very astute. I, it does have big kidnap energy to this film for sure. <laughs> I mean, we've heard about big dick energy, but I, it, it looked, I the whole thing looks like it was kind of like a uh, soap opera, like they shot on video or something, or some kind of cheaper film. Mm. Yeah, it is. I, I realized this while watching the film. It's like 1985, so you can tell the equipment's a little bad. Yeah, it looked older than that. Yeah, because like. Yeah, like, the, the actual stuff they used to record this, I'd be interested if I knew more about it, because it's, like, it feels like it's one step above, like, a home video recorder at the time, but, like, one step below an actual professional camera, so it's, like, this weird in-between of, like, like, I think Luke hit it, a nail on the head pretty good. It looks like a soap opera from that time frame for what they had. Well, did, did you notice that there were occasionally there would be a few scenes that clearly weren't color-corrected because they were super orange? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Also, a lot of cigarette burns, which is, like, when they put the film together and, like, other little pieces of that of, like, you can tell it was hastily edited, um, probably because the people who made the film had been escaping from North Korea at that time, so. Oh, yeah, this was this was the seventh out of seven films that they made while in captivity in North Korea, and this was the last one they made before escaping uh, during a film festival in Venice. Are the yeah, other ones can... available, or is this the only one that's available? I was looking this up before we started recording. They just have descriptions of the films. I didn't see them online anywhere, but it did lead me to believe that they are available somewhere. Yeah. Um, I was going to read through the list here real quick, which I think is... Because I wanted to do more research on them, and like because he was like an accomplished filmmaker in South Korea before, which is why he was kidnapped. Oh, mm-hmm. not just South Korea after this, also America. He did some films here, which I think you're going to enjoy. They did six films all together when they were kidnapped in uh, South Korea, or South Korea, North Korea, starting in 1984. They basically made six films in less than a year and a half altogether, which is an insane thing to think about. Yeah. Uh, but the first film was An Emissary of No Return, uh, which was written by Kim Il-sung, which I think is really interesting. Um, <laughs> and that, they made and that, basically... oh, they made that while they were in North Korea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then they made, uh, the second film was Love, Love, My Love, which is based off a popular folktale from Korea. Uh, Runaway, which is a 1920 set piece set in Japan, which is, that's gotta be wild to see how they did that. Um, Salt, which is a story set in the 1930s that's also about a Korean and Chinese merchant relations. Um, also, once again, the Japanese are evil in that. It's like Korea has a chip on their shoulder about Japan. That's crazy. Well, I think even, um, anyways, I think even South Korea hates Japan. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean they should. The, there's a there's a famous raping thing going oh, yeah. on during yeah. World War II. That's not so good. Um, actually, some great novels to read about that, but I'll get to that at the end of the episode to recommend. Um, it, they have very bad relations for obvious things that happened in World War II, but also politically, they almost had this weird kind of like social cold war with each other in the 80s and 90s too. But they really enjoy each other's uh, kind of cinema. They both love South Korean films in Japan, and Japan loves South Korean films. It's it's weird. Um, it's people are fucked up no matter where you go. And then finally, the last one they made was uh, Pulgasari, 
which was the you sixth know, one. That, Do English so. people still hate French people? Is that still a I thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We got. We got. I don't know why. I. I, I like. I. I. I hope they do. I don't. For some reason, that. <laughs> The fingers are that stuff does make a lot of sense because when I was watching this, I felt like it was a little get a little bit of like, uh, uh, what is it called? Like propaganda, a little bit. Oh yeah, one hundred. See, I kept looking for the propaganda, and I think it was there. Like the farmers are the ones who rise up against yeah. the king, but it's also like the yeah. king's like shitty tactics. That's kind of what the North Korean government does. Yeah. Oh no, we can we can talk about it when we get to the end of the film because like they they put in the like the real propaganda right at the yeah. very end. Yeah, rules. Um, does anybody want to start summing the plot up? Uh, well, basically the entire uh, plot: you... the king takes all the farmers' equipment, and they're pissed off about it, so they start they start some kind of rebellion. The king comes and puts a bunch of them in jail. An ironsmith makes a little monster out of rice and then his daughter's blood brings it to life and it's the monster Pulgasari that eats iron and fights for the yeah. workers. I want to talk about that scene of like uh, when the first the governor sends in his troops to kind of quell I guess what's a bandit rebellion as they call it in the film um, and then the uncle who's like the blacksmith of the town while they're in captivity like praised the gods for them to make this rice idol he makes while in captivity to be like a monster to defend the people. Oh, but, you, you got to remember they're the, they captured the, the blacksmith and they are yeah. purposefully not feeding him because he wants to, they want to punish him because he was giving everyone back their farming equipment yep. and their pots and pans because the government had taken them to give to him, be like, make weapons. All these people don't need these things to survive, even though they need them to survive. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. why he was being... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, that... it's a real stupid-ass film. It's it's very... Luke, you summed it up just fine, but, like, they had... They kind of had reasons. They're, they're still nonsensical, stupid reasons, but they're kind of there. I mean, it's also, yeah. like, the, the enemies, there's not really a defined enemy. Like, I guess it's the king, but you don't see him too much. You see his, this one general, which is not the general with the eye patch. Why wasn't he the main guy? The main guy? You gotta do it. He was his right-hand man. Yeah. I, I, maybe they realized this guy could chew scenery a little better, because, like, he, he sells, oh, like, being a shitty evil guy. Yeah, he was chewing it up every scene. Like, I hope, I hope whatever he had to do in North Korea after this, like he had some fun making some propaganda films until his eventual. Well, I, re I really, you know, he was he was chewing scenery like he's malnourished. I mean, this this <laughs> film definitely did have a big hat budget. I don't know if you guys noticed how cool the hats were. Lots oh yeah, this had, hats. Uh, it's actually it's in it's in the wiki it's in the Wikipedia. Thirty percent of the budget serious? went to hats. Yeah, guys. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we did we did trip into a moth RuPaul's Drag Race because let's talk about the fashion of this film a little bit here too. Well, uh, my favorite is the dude cosplaying Liu Kang, the main guy. Oh, That's what yeah. I was going to say exactly. Yeah. He has the headband and the look and everything. The beautiful it, um, flowing yeah. hair. It was really great hair. Uh, great arms. He had that gun show on display the whole movie. And his name's Indy. Yeah, Andy's his name. <laughs> the two main characters, Amy and Andy, they got they have some decent fashion. Amy's dressed in a very traditional kind of Korean garb the whole time. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't look 
bad, but it doesn't look great, you know, either way. Um, the the real standout definitely is the general's army and the the king's, like, governing armies, because they all have really fun outfits. Yep. Big old hats, big feathers, swords so big that the sheets oh, look God. like cartoon props. <laughs> it um, is like a sword from Aladdin. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah! Kaiju takes a bite out of a sword. It was. It made me laugh so hard. It did make me laugh because once again, his sheath is so big. It's kind of like tripping around him when he takes the bite. Yeah, He's just like yeah. bumbling all over. This is getting ahead of myself, but you know the scene that made me laugh the hardest what? when they're uh, they're caning the old woman, like the aunt. <laughs> To try and get the information out of her. Jeez. No, that wasn't funny. It made me laugh because it made me think of that scene from Freddy Got Fingered. Where he oh, got yeah. Wheelchair girl in the shit. You're right. Jeez. Oh, and I laughed Jesus, so dude. hard uh, just thinking about that. B- before we get out of Moth RuPaul's Drag Race, I do need to bring up my, my favorite piece of fashion in the movie was the the king's hat. And I'm sure that's like a. I'm I'm sure they did it accurately, yeah. but it's just it's just covered in those beads, and he moves around his head so quickly that you saw them get tied up in there, and it it's like so he's funny a to small me. House out of his head. <laughs> yeah, that, that like, got to be pinned yeah. to his hair, right? Otherwise, yes. it's falling off. The king is so decadent and so rich. He wants to tell people: not only do I own this entire palace, I also can afford to put a tiny hat that's actually a house on top of my head too. So yeah. fuck all y'all. <laughs> It's like, hey, a, like, a temple, really, baby. like a huge mortarboard. Yeah. Or a tall mortarboard. A... Oh, man, it's <laughs> motorboarding. Twenty twenty's really got us all in a bad place. Did I, I, did I, did I say the word right? Yeah. Mortarboard? Yeah, you did. I okay. just started thinking about yeah, motorboarding. Motorboat. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I feel like I'm going to keep Martin's comment about the malnourishment earlier because it's too funny to pass up. It's it, it's a dark it, joke, yeah. but it's a good joke, damn it. It's true. I mean, you know, things are rough, but... I mean, well, you're going to kowtow to political pressure from North Korea? Yeah, I'm not going to fucking do that. You know Who what? are you, take, Dennis Rodman? I'm taking a brave stance right now, guys. I'm going to say this. I think what they're doing in North Korea is cool. <laughs> Bold statement. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Also, I'm going to go on the record and saying fascism. I don't think's good. I don't know. This turned into a weird Jacob Lowry impression all of a sudden. Why is it that like all like uh, dictators and cult leaders end up wearing like those smoky glasses? Like they're not I quite sunglasses. They're not cl- quite glasses. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird thing. I can't wait to talk about Kim Jong Il after all this. <laughs> but to get back to the summary. Um, after Pulagasari comes to life, I gotta say this, he's pretty cute. When he first starts out, a little scamper guy. Oh, I fan. I love how they start off with him. It's like He's like the size of a yeah. little muscle, muscle figure. I love him. Yeah, yeah the I, liked, thing, I liked the giant, that there was a giant set that he was like clearly like a, probably a shorter person put into a costume. Yeah. Though I was kind of like, I know he eats iron, but he's eating the needle, like threading needles. And... Mm-hmm. I don't know, that just seems like such a hard thing to eat. Why didn't he eat the scissors? Because yeah. they're, they're smaller. you got to take real big bites to get that through those big scissors. He's real small at that point. He's just a little small boy. I'm um, sure he ate the scissors later, and I'm sure it was also probably easier to make a giant needle than it would be to make giant scissors. But they did have yeah. giant scissors. I guess they didn't, they didn't have a bite taken out of it, but in that little knitting box that he's in when he first comes to life, due to We're, Amy's blood... Yes. 
That where, scene too, where they have the so they have the blood come out of her finger, and you think they would just have it drip on it, but they did this really weird effect where it literally looks like a glowing orb that's like an, a special effect from the sixties. Yeah. It looked like somebody dropped pasta sauce on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah and I, I, um, I, I work like with knives a lot, so I know that finger cuts bleed a lot. But from a knitting needle, I don't think your finger would bleed that much. You get like a little droplet, and that would probably close up. The only um, thing I'm going to say about like young Polgasari before he gets big is that he's pretty cute, but sometimes his eyes look a little too realistic, and that kind of creeped me out. But that happens about... a couple of times in the movie, like his eyes mm-hmm. looking really weird. They yeah. really like focusing on his eyes. Which yeah. would be fine if this were Godzilla and he was like the bad guy and he makes you feel uneasy for some reason like that. Like the eyes would just make you feel, but he's supposed to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah that's why his yeah. eyes weren't shifting around, you know, like yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing I love about Godzilla films when they cut to him, they do the shifty eyes. <laughs> it's like, what is this guy up to? I don't like it. Um, so he comes to life, he gets, starts getting bigger and bigger as he's eating metal. I think it is funny that it's very comical at first because, like, he literally interrupts the execution of the main character by eating the sword. Yeah, And, like, indeed. the tone, yeah, and the tone before that would be more serious, but the executioner probably is seeing, like, he's chewing up the scenery more than the one general, I'd say, because he's, like, doing this thing where he's, like, putting the sword down on his neck and pulling it back like he's gonna do it. And yeah, and, like, laughing. Down. Oh, and he just keeps laughing? Yeah. He's having fun with it. Yeah. He's having a good time. So Amy's like crying, don't kill him, don't kill Andy. And then Pogasari shows up and he's like, nah, the sword's mine, I'm going to eat it. And then like they all just run away after that. Well, there's one scene in that like when it clamps on the sword where it's clearly like a doll version of it. Like it was always a doll and somebody off camera's holding it. Yeah. Just waving it around, making it look like it's moving, but you. You didn't see the person's hand, but you knew they were there. Yeah. Like how a little kid would make a movie. Yeah. Well, in a way, a little kid did make this film. Yeah. Uh, and his name's Kim, <laughs> Kim Jong-il. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's a big guy, but he's a little kid at heart. Um, in the most frightening of ways. So I think the plot we could go through pretty quickly after this because it's it's a stupid film that goes too long in every scene. Um, Indy's kind of like this king of the bandits, uh, to keep all the corrupt government officials out. He's, they start using... uh, what's his name from Game of Thrones? The one who started the War of Three Kings. I've never seen Game of Thrones. Yeah, me neither. I've seen it, but I'm trying to remember because the season finale the one, is so bad. The one who died at, uh, the Red Wedding. Oh. Uh, oh, lots of people died there. Oh, right? that was um one of the one of the I can't remember anybody's name. I watched the show for years. This is insane to me. The Bran, um, Ned, uh, was our... it John? No, that's no, John Snow. John's not even. John's not even yeah. a uh, Stark. It's is it a Rob? I feel like it's a it's Rob. A that's it, Rob Stark. Oh. Yeah, that's the one. Not not his uh, not his brother Tony Stark. All yeah, making his fangled robotic suits. That is a really good comparison of him, very similar role of Rob Stark, of like kind of getting this rebellion that the Emperor can't quell right away. Pulgasari starts doing more of the heavy lifting. Um, I think the first time they have an encounter with the General's army, that actually was pretty fun to watch. And like they have it where like Pulgasari is getting burned, he gets out of the cage, they try to capture him in. Oh yeah, they 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 kidnap the 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 daughter of the blacksmith. And yeah, that's Amy. Well, because I, they they have a connection. So if if I guess if 
I don't know. He he only wants to protect her. That's like his main thing. Like he wants to help all these other people, but his main thing is he wants to keep her safe. I think that's it's like ballsy. Go ahead. I was gonna, that's pretty ballsy to put a kidnapping scene in a movie where you are kidnapped to make. Like I I feel like they were pushing hard for it. Like they were like, like we okay, know, no, this we, scene has to be in there. This, we know what this looks like. Yeah. <laughs> or what if I like to imagine this even more of the the two people making this film once again were kidnapped by Kim Jong Il while you watched over the whole scenes of it, and I might I feel like it might be the opposite where Kim Jong is like you know I think this film needs a kidnapping scene they're like we really don't want to do this <laughs> for so many reasons the Kim Jong Il's like nah I I think you should I think you should put this in there so they're like okay well we're gonna put it in there but we're gonna make it very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a it's a reason why the movie's so boring because with Pulgari, is that it? Pul- Pulgasari. Pulgasari. When he's with the People's Army, they're untouchable. He, he like you never really see him killing soldiers too much or like stomping on people because the co- I feel like the giant costume was never in the same place as the rest of the actors were. Yeah. No, it never was. It was always like behind a hill, rear rear projected, or just put in like post post effect. Yeah, yeah. I think the it thing was is so jarring and like just made the whole thing feel. And every scene is just like, oh, the king's upset that they can't stop Pulgasari. Oh, we've got this new plan that's going to take out Pulgasari. Like this would have been a great like Power Rangers season. Oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah, I and I. I, I definitely cut Brandon off when we were talking about that first thing where they build a giant wooden cage and they get uh they get Pulgasari in it and then they set it on fire and they're like, haha, we did it, we killed him. But then he comes out and I guess because his body is kind of irony, like he's 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 like metal kind of, right? He's a hot boy after that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they never checked yeah. to see if he was if fire hurt him. Yeah. Well, they they were they were finding out then that if that general has anything, it's confidence. Yeah. Well, I yeah, think if he he's technically part of the, I think if technically he's part of the blacksmith, fire would make him stronger, wouldn't it? I, hey, they learned that I very mean, quickly. Yeah. Blacksmiths yeah. work with fire, but they're not like firebenders. Hey, <laughs> hey, it'd be cooler if they were. <laughs> and, and even firebenders, I think you can burn a firebender. Oh yeah! Oh no! Definitely, Prince Zuko is is, is proof of that. Fire! My one weakness. <laughs> uh, so yeah, to basically sum it up, they keep having these different kind of like escapades. Is the only way I could describe it. Of like, they beat the shit out of the general's army. He comes back with a new plan. At one point, it's to put Pulgasari in a giant hole. And I even had to admit, like, it's a stupid plan. Like, you know what? That's a pretty good plan. Don't know if he can get out of it. Oh, um, wait a second. I'm sorry. We we skipped something that I thought was pretty metal and cool, which is after Pulgasari comes out of the fire, uh, the army is trying to escape via boat. Pulgasari goes into the water and starts boiling those people alive. Yeah. yeah. Is that what oh, that's was that supposed to be happening? I'm I'm yeah. pretty sure. Because yeah, I know he, like, he was underwater, but I kept thinking, like, is he hurt still? Is he dying? Well, I'm positive that's what was supposed to happen because the people were like yelling in pain. I like after that scene where they go like all of the uh, all the soldiers retreat and in unison they just scream we are ashamed and <laughs> in any language <laughs> that's funny I don't <laughs> it's I don't know it's, it's I'm sure it sounds less silly in the original like translation because like it like have you ever seen the Japanese lyrics for the Speed Racer theme. 
Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, it's all we're like, oh, he will never have the dis the dishonor of fa- of failure. <laughs> of failure. <Shit> like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> like sounds really overly formal, but I think that's just Asian languages. Yeah. What if it is something completely opposite where like their actually translation perfect English was like, We made a big boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we saw we That sounded oh, a bit no. more racist than I meant it to. I want <laughs> I mean, I knew you were going for like a sawy like a baby. So yeah. <laughs> but like, oh, that's there's sounds... the problem with baby language. Just as realize it's very close <laughs> to racist Asian man. Oh man, Asian babies. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Oh. <laughs> don't get me started on that. There's this one Gene Hackman movie I saw years ago where he's like a gold thief, and he keeps saying in the throughout the movie like, oh, cuter than a Chinese baby. I mean, it's a weird take. I don't feel like it's problematic because they are they're pretty cute. Yeah. But all hey, babies. I, I, I'd still count that as kind of problematic nowadays. Yeah. Was... I think we should double down and make everything where it's not bad. We should go back to the old ways. And also, let's make America great again. Let, let's, <laughs> let's dig up Mickey Rooney and get him to play his character. Oh, no. Breakfast I don't Christmas. like this. No. No, stop. <laughs> they hate it. Now, is... to be fair, like he'll be doing a racist caricature, but like he wants to stay dead, but we make him stay alive and do it. <laughs> it's his punishment. It's actually yeah. hell. Um, so yeah, the, they escalate, like I was saying, after the scene. After they capture Pulgasari, after like a second time, they capture Indy. Um, this time they don't fuck around, and they just straight up hang the dude, which is yeah. a, a dark turn, but this film kind of goes darker as it keeps going. Well, it's like anytime but, somebody's dying, like a main character's dying, that's the propaganda. Yeah. Oh, man. It is propaganda, but he also, this was the second most metal moment in the, in the I'd say, movie. We should start doing metal moments, guys. That's a new I'm going to use that for the sound bit now. Um, but this mental moment is when they're getting ready to hang Indy. He, I wrote down the quote, is like, put my head high on the south gate so I can see the fallen king. I'm like, damn, dude, that fucking rules. Okay, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that now. That was cool. Yeah. I also like that um, some of his followers were like trying to like prop him up by lying down at his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, nah, I'm ready to die, and it's going to be fucking tight as hell, dude. <laughs> I think those are actually. I think those are actually Iron Maiden lyrics about Indy being killed by the general for the, uh, okay. the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and at this point, uh, Amy is like, "Okay, well, we gotta get Pulgasari out of the ground." So she has this weird plan where she just goes to the enemy encampment. And is like, well, she pretends hey. to be a whore. Like it's, it's right. yeah. it says whore. I think yeah. it was like probably There's no better a way nicer to put version of whore, like a. Uh, not Kong I mean, this, just, just so everyone knows, the the translation we all saw is just it's just free on YouTube. You can go and watch this movie at any time. But I do think the translation could have been a little better. Yeah, <laughs> it said the new whore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of my favorite her... shows from Fox. And then she says, "Like treat her with respect." I'm like, "You just called her a whore." Yeah. Well, listen, these new whores, they're all about this feminism. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. Once that, again, not our words. This is the translation I want to specifically say. <laughs> Calling her the new whore, which is wacky, to say the least. Um, it's like but the new she... mutants, the new whores. Yeah. Once again, coming to Fox this fall. <laughs> um, when she goes to the camp, they don't really waste any time. They don't do anything too creepy, which is great. She basically starts crying, and then Pulgasari does a backflip. 
through lightning through the rocks back up. Well, no, first dope. she cuts herself to drip more blood. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, about the hole. yeah. I just remember I... the backflip and lightning. <laughs> so, so here's here, here's a question I wanted to bring up earlier in the film. How did she know that that was the thing that made Pulgasari happen? And how does the government know that that's the thing that made Pulgasari happen? I mean, I think she would definitely know because she was there when it happened. A droplet of blood yeah. fell on him and then he started walking. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. How did the government know about that? Was she just going around telling everybody? Because there was a guy who came in who was like explaining like, hey, this happened because the blacksmith took rice and made it into this figure. And it's like, how do you know? This is actually a weird thing they left out in the film. Uh, the King's Army actually um, is set in the 21st century, and they have surveillance drones. So <laughs> a bit of magic realism they put into it. They were made out of, like, so. bone, though. So. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool, man. They oh, that's a fucking metal moment. Bone drone? Oh, boy. Bone drone. <laughs> that, oh, my God, a porn entrepreneur somewhere, a light just went off in his head. <laughs> Hey, listen, Bank Bus, that's 2000s. You want to get to the future? Get the bone drone. (laughs) (laughs) Picture this. A chick getting done by a drone. We fly it in the streets. We find a hot chick with a dildo, and we have a dildo attached to the drone. It's like fuck machine meets Bang Bus. I guess that does make more machine, or make more machine... That does make more sense because I feel like if you call it the bone drone, it needs to be involved in the sexual. The drone has to be doing mm-hmm. the boning. Yeah, yes. for sure. It can't just be like, Otherwise... "Hey, follow me to a dick." Yeah. Then it's like, <laughs> well, you don't really need the drone at all, do you? There's very something entertaining about a drone dropping from the sky. It just whispers in your ear, like, "Hey, I know where some dicks are." Fifty <laughs> percent off at Adam and Eve. Use the code Bone Drone. Oh. Go to Adam oh, and Eve. It's a drone with a dildo too. attached, but it's got like a screen that has a dude's face that acts like yeah. he's fucking the chick. <laughs> what I'm saying is the Bone Drone has many uses and probabilities. So I'm asking, I'm asking you, you sharks, to give us funding for this. I'm, like, I'm copywriting like, Bone Drone right now. Needed a glass knocked over that was really high. It could do that. Yeah, that's nice. Um, guys, let's never forget about the military campaign and drone attacks that Obama did, but back to the film. Um, Bone we, uh, Predator drone. We, uh, this is where the story kind of starts ramping up and the movie keeps going too long for certain scenes, but basically, Pulgasari is getting bigger and bigger and they decide to attack the capital. And then uh, if one of you guys want to kind of summarize the scene a little bit more, because this is where I stopped paying attention the most... Oh, so th- this is the scene where they're like, oh, hey, that, that big hole didn't work. We have to go to our other plan. And I was, I was really hoping that they were going like the full on direction of this just being a carte blanche, like Godzilla ripoff. Cause they were talking about this guy who's like developing a great weapon. And I was like, oh my God, are they going to have fucking feudal Koreans make an A-bomb? It's a fucking cannon. I was. Yeah, it's just a fucking cannon. Yeah. But did the they use, they use cool. cannons earlier in the fucking movie? Yes, they, they did. Rockets. They had, they had, they, in order to get the same effects of missiles hitting the monster that they have in Godzilla's, they were just like, yeah, just put firecracker spheres up there. That'll be fine. Yeah. I feel like I... did take one to the face, though. Oh, yeah. yes, but, but he was all, he also healed, like, immediately. Yeah, almost immediately. <laughs> it was funny to me because when that happened, I'm like, okay, this is a stupid film, so I just feel like he's gonna eat a cannonball. And then three seconds <laughs> later, he ate a cannonball, so. Oh, but before that fight even happens, I, I wanted, I screenshotted it because I loved the line so much. 
the king has this very specific line, like, we could defeat Pulgasari, even if there were 104 Pulgasaris, we'd be all right. And it's like, what a weirdly specific number, and also, no, you weren't. <laughs> what if they just really amped up the that scene to make it even stranger, where, like, one of his magistrates are like, what if it was 105, and the king's just like, behead that man. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we couldn't do 105. 104. Yeah, 104... Yeah, Perfectly fine. 105, oh boy, get time to head south if you guys are by me. Also, 105, we break the warranty. It could have been lost in translation, but I think I would have enjoyed this movie more if the royals and the military were more bumbling, like like stupid. Because I feel that's kind of how they were represented, but I, and again, it could just be North Korean if whatever makes them laugh. I did think about this a lot, but I think the the sheer flamboyance and colorful outfits, especially as uh, opposed to the very dour kind of, I'd say, clothing of the time of North Korea, I think that alone is like trying to make them look like silly clowns because they're like, look at these stupid outfits over the top. Like, who would even mm-hmm. dress like this? Um, okay. That's my honest take with it. But I, but it, they I they like... seem to be wearing traditional garbs, like. I don't know. It just did. They are, but they're very, they're very, they're very ornate and costumey. They're they're exaggerated for the film. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess through a communist lens, I could see that. Being. Yeah, I think they're trying to show the opulence of royalty and the ruling class, which is funny because it's exactly what the dictators end up doing in North yeah. Korea eventually. It's like the Anyways. end of Animal Farm. Yeah, exactly. Guys, I don't mean to backtrack, but I want to know where did that big hole come from. <laughs> they made that's, that hole that's, so quick. They, they made, made it, it so fucking quick. They talked like, about making it, and that had to be so deep. Like, who the fuck dug that? <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was doing math in my head. Like, even if you have like a shit ton of slave labor to get a hole big enough for this monster, you're gonna need a week minimum. Or and they do it in like sorry, like you're gonna need exactly. sorry to make the hole. Uh, let's use all was, our Bulgasari. Like, we can't use them during the battles because that of, would like, be. Uh, I was waiting this whole I was waiting this whole fucking movie for them to introduce something to fight Polgasari. I, I was hoping there was going to be yeah. <laughs> I was I was hoping it was either going to be like cuz again when they were also talking about like the big cannon weapon I was hoping like okay could they make a Gundam in this they could totally oh, that God, could be a way to get around having a kaiju fight happen Yeah but no it's, it's just still disappointing canon I, I want to imagine now, and it would be the funniest comedy in all of the world, if they actually did have a Pulgasari that made the hole. At the very end of it, the Emperor's, like, hitting his head, like, oh, we should have used our Pulgasari to fight the other Pulgasari. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like an idiot. <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. Um, but no, that's not how it ends. Um, who wants to describe the war ending? <laughs> no, 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 we're not at the war ending yet, because there's there's a lot of other great stuff oh, that happens. Oh, yes, that's right. Like, the, the entire siege on the castle is really funny, uh, especially when it gets to the when it gets to the king running away from Pulgasari. He is so scared, he wraps himself in a curtain, yeah. and then Pulgasari steps on it. Yeah. <laughs> curtain death is definitely one of the most embarrassing deaths in a movie. I'll give this film that. I that's mean, I did, sure. I, I did kind of like the only scene where, like, Pulgasari is actually in the same room as something he destroys or attacks when it lays, it's not quite a pagoda, but it's got the same kind of whatever you call that type of roof, but it wasn't layered when he destroys that building. Oh yeah. Like that was a, that was a, that was a good miniature. I think they, they built that seriously and they probably took that take very seriously because they could only do that once. Yeah. yeah I was impressed. To it see wasn't the shot from a low angle. Sorry. Yeah. 
Uh, that I think that's really interesting to me too. Of like, I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but to go deeper into this is, um, I feel like they had a budget for this film, and Kim Jong Il put a lot of money into it. But like, you could tell it was this thing where like they could only spin it, and they got some really cool stuff. And after that, their budget probably either ran out. They're like, oh, we can't do any more month or money on this. So, um, I feel like they had some scenes where they just blew it all, and that was it. And then after that, they're like trying to be creative how they would do scenes like this when they didn't have the budget anymore. That's my theory, at least. I'm probably. Uh... Yeah. Okay. I, well, I did want to bring up one more thing before we get to the war ending. Um, uh, so immediately after they like take down the castle, there, there's a very funny shot where immediately after the king is crushed, it just cuts to like all of these people celebrating in the street. And they're just there. They're having fun, and it's just such a quick tonal whiplash. It's so fun. Uh, and then immediately after that, Pulgasari is just kind of poking around the castle, and they're like, "Oh man, he already ate all the weapons. What's he gonna eat?" Well, yeah, that, and then like as soon my... as the war with the royals is over, Pulgasari like, "Oh, now we got this giant that needs to eat iron to survive." They, my other favorite line in this film that I had to screenshot it. Uh, one guy in the crowd just screams, that's it! Let it eat this big gun! Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how I felt a lot during this whole quarantine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, at this point, this is where we're getting the ending of, like, where they, they don't know what they're gonna do about this creature that they've made. Um, it's, it's wartime, boys. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, I, I just realized the crazy thing about a lot of these monster films and kaiju films, you don't really see the monster or have the monster eat people too often. It's more than, like, stepping on them or destroying them. But basically, uh, the main character decides she needs to sacrifice herself by basically hiding herself in the food so that when the monster eats her, they'll both explode. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. So she's supposed to be, like, yeah. connected to him, like E.T.? Yeah. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. It's kind of like an ET thing they got going on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, just a lot, a lot lamer. Um, well, or maybe cooler. I don't know. How do you guys feel? I, you know, I don't know. I must have looked away because I didn't realize when he eats that. Is it a bell? It is a bell. Yeah, because I didn't realize that she was in there. Oh yeah, no. She she crawled in there. I think she realizes like Pulgasari cannot stop eating, so he's either. He keeps eating the rebels' weapons, the farmers' tools, their pots and pans, and like they need those things. Yeah. But yeah, so you're right. The end decide... is propaganda because it's like dying for the state is glorious. Like it's honorable. Oh well, well that's the thing. It's like it's a it's a propaganda metaphor for like the effects of unchecked capitalism and the the power of the collective. Yeah, you, yeah because it just you, keeps your growing and taking. Sacrifice that you give. Yes. Yeah. And this but is you give the... only to your dear leader. The weird thing I kind of want to talk about at the end of this film is that, like, there's... This film is weird because I feel like it has multiple, like, allegories for capitalism because both the emperor's opulence and his ruling class is supposed to be seen as the power of capitalism and how it's destructive to the people. But then also Pulgasari is kind of supposed to be capitalism at the same time. Uh, it, just, it, it mixes its metaphors. Yeah, it really it does. does. I feel like the, the film director, which we can start talking about a little bit after the rating of this... Like, he wanted to try to have a meaningful film still, so my hat's off to him, but it just makes it very muddled in the long run. So, that's my take. I guess we could we could get to reviews on it, I think. Uh, I, I th feel we're at a good point. Um, no. 
Yeah, in the I, I want to say in the eternal words of Jay Sherman, it stinks. You know, I feel like we we should get back to our our old rating system, which is the Machamp rating system. Uh, in the past, we've had the Shiva rating system, the Koro rating system. Now we're on the Machamp rating system, so you have four arms. That can have we ever had Zaphod Beeblebrock's rating system? He's got three arms. Oh, that's ooh! I like this a lot. It's, yeah. Should we go? Should we go to three arms and do the Zaphod Beetlebox? Let, let's just do it. They, I, sure. I never, I never use it anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a big fan of Hitchhiker's uh, Guide to the Galaxy, uh, he's got three arms. So that means he has three arms that could either be going thumbs up, thumbs down, anything between. Uh, for this one, I'm gonna say he's got one thumb up and two thumbs down because there's there's some entertaining parts in this film. It's not the worst we've watched, but it's definitely not good. So, you know what? I kind of I kind of like the three rating system because even makes it like there's lower stakes. But when you have an uneven number for rating system, you gotta really think about it. Makes mm. you think. Yeah. Well. I know I kind of already gave my rating, but I'll give it two thumbs down, one thumbs up, because more the history of the movie and the people who created it than the movie itself. The movie itself is just like kind of shitty, but the story around it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I, uh, I'll i go ahead and give it... Um, uh, so one hand's jerking off. Uh, <laughs> one hand's giving a thumbs down. Like jerking off the or other hand... the jerking off motion. No, like actually jerking off. Gotcha. This is a hot movie. Uh, so jerking off, thumbs down, and then the last one is uh, zooming through the video on on his phone uh, just so he can get to the funny parts that he liked. Uh, I would still, I would still definitely recommend ch- checking it out. But just like Luke said, I feel like if there was a really well done film about the production of this movie, I I'd fucking watch the shit out of that because the production is far more interesting than the film itself. Yeah, I watched I a thirty-minute YouTube documentary, but I didn't really pay attention to it, so I got very That's little. Fair. From YouTube it. documentaries, nah. I, yeah, the, the interesting thing is there was a film that's like a dramatized uh, documentary of it that came out in like two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. Um, gonna pull up the name of it while we're talking about it, but like I didn't see it really listed anywhere, or streaming anywhere. Um, so I don't know if it exists, but it sounds like it was aired at one point called The Lovers and the Despot. Um, hmm. And it's like, it's all right reviewed. It's like a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it'd be fun to check out. But uh, what I did want to talk about before we get into talking about wh- why this film was made, there is a book out called a Kim Jong-il production. Um, I haven't read it, but it has really rave reviews, and I think I'm going to read it now after seeing this. Uh, but basically, it's the whole story about this, which is uh, Kim Jong-il decided he wanted to make films for North Korea, kind of to spread their propaganda and show that they have a dominance in the world. Yeah. Um, so he decided to kidnap his two favorite movie stars from South Korea, one being a director um, named uh, Shin Sang-ok, and then the other being uh, Choi In-hyu. She was a very famous actor at the time. You see. Uh, they were married... But they got divorced right before this, which I think is another interesting part. Yeah, and then they got back together afterwards, right? Yeah, I feel like you they, have to. <laughs> well, they they got they they definitely had to because it was at the suggestion of Kim Jong Il. Yeah, um, they did stay together after they escaped. So, kind of a spoiler alert on that, but we'll get a. I mean, story you were kidnapped bit. and held against your will with somebody. That's like 
It's a bit How do you get closer than that? That's a that's a yeah. strong bond. Yeah, I think there's a term for it. Um, oh, oh, couples retreat. Yeah, <laughs> couples retreat syndrome. Not Stockholm, but couples yeah, retreat. Yeah, it's all marriage. Ball and chain. Um, literally, in this case, there probably was a ball and chain at some point. Anyway, no, oh I did. The, what I do remember from the documentary is that like. They had to do some fucked up shit. Like they had to write thank you letters to Kim Jong Il. Yeah, they were held prisoner for yeah for like <laughs> the nice accommodations they gave them because they were given good accommodations. They were given anything they wanted essentially, but you know, like except for wanting to go home. Yeah, it's like a yeah. kidnapping vacation. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun way to put it. Kim Jong Il was, I mean, a sociopath in every way. But he also wanted to have it, the optics beyond it look like they defected in North Korea to make movies and they weren't kidnapped. Yeah. So that's why he would have things like the thank you letters and then they would actually be put on like press releases to talk about it. Um, this is the this is the crazy part about it as we get more into it. They were kidnapped for almost three to four years before they started making movies. And Kim Jong-il would consult them both just to be like film critics and review like their own media and like operas, which is so bizarre to me. And basically, it's probably them just having to eat shit and be like, oh, this is so great. North Korea truly is the best. Uh, they had to do that for, like, three to four years. Well, supposedly, it was one of the few times when, like, Kim Jong-il would take some kind of criticism. Because, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, that he doesn't... Wanted, he did... He wanted to make good movies, which I think is a very interesting thing. But he also wanted them to have, like, the message of their country and all the propaganda in it. And I, they were saying, basically, that Polgasari is the closest they got to where it wasn't just straight-up propaganda uh, yeah. for the film. Ooh, oh. that's that makes me not really want to check out the other movies. Yeah, yeah they got to be pretty bad. Um, I don't know. I kind of like I like yeah, like it's awful, but I think propaganda films are kind of interesting. Like, have you ever oh, watched yeah, like Soviet much. Russian animation? Like, they did a lot of animation during the Soviet era. Yeah, it's really inventive, and uh, there's some crazy stuff that you can watch from it. Um, I mean, also Battleship Potemkin. Is basically mm. that too, yeah, which is still that. studied. The, the like the first anime even before Astro Boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. There uh, you and... go, Astro Boy. You know. Oh, uh, here and here's a, here's an interesting bit of trivia that I don't think we brought up yet. The uh, staff from Japan's Toho Studios uh, actually participated in creating the film special effects. They were tricked into coming to North Korea because they thought they were filming in China. <laughs> Classic, uh, that's a Columbus mistake right there, if you will. Whoa. Um, uh, also, the person inside the Pulgasari costume is someone who's done, like, multiple kaiju films. I think he was in Godzilla 84? Yes. He was in The Return of Godzilla. Something completely bizarre I want to talk about real quick, too, before we get to their escape, which is also a crazy story, is uh, Ken Pachiro Satsuma was the one who was in the costume for this, and he did most of the Toho um, Godzilla suits as creatures that they were fighting. He was Hedora, he was Gigan, and in the later 90s he played uh, Godzilla in uh, the actual suits. But um, when he did this film, after they filmed it, he went on a bunch of press releases in Japan saying that Pulgasari is his most favorite costume he's done and one of the best movies he's worked on. And he stopped it after they escaped. So people have this theory that he was trying to put in a coded message to get the people of Japan to realize they need to rescue these two people from uh, being held captive. So now I really want to see those interviews and decode them, which I think is <laughs> a great way to use this pandemic time. Um, weird trivia I was reading about it. But basically, um, Shin and Choi were doing another press release for Pulgasari in uh, Vienna, 
and they had to actually escape like a bunch of North Korean agents that were chasing them at the time at the hotel <laughs> to get to an emissary. They were held in an American emissary. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just imagining them running with like yakety sax playing in the background. Oh, for sure. It had to be, it's real <laughs> life, but it's super wacky. Yeah, I um, feel like so they, that itself would make a better movie than this. Yeah. Oh, I for sure want to kind of see a movie based off this now. Yeah. Um. So they basically get to an American consulate and they are kept in America for almost a decade until it's safe to go back to South Korea. Um. The craziest thing about this is that Shin wanted to keep making movies, so he took under a pseudonym called Simon Sheen. And this motherfucker, he directed Three Ninjas Knuckle Up and Three Ninjas Kick Back. What? Oh, really? But yes. not the original. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's such a bizarre story. I just love it so much. Um, but he, he enjoyed his time in America, but basically by, like, 95, 96, they decided to move back to South Korea where he was, like, involved as an executive producer, but he didn't really direct after that. And they just lived, uh, I guess, uh, hopefully a long, happy life with each other until they both passed away in the early 2000s, and then uh, Choi passed away in 2018. Yeah, I was going to say, she, so. she died very recently. Yeah, mm. she was 91 when she passed away, yeah. so man, what a, what a life. I, I really want to read that book now. See, I'm my gonna, my, my grandmother lived to be her 90s, and like that sound, from what I saw, like it seems like the worst thing ever. Your body just can't do anything anymore. With that said, we should get to those good old stupid games. Um, stupid games. We started a new one that I've been really liking, which is How Tall is Steve Buscemi? Um, <laughs> I don't remember again. <laughs> I I don't either. <laughs> All right, once again. So I I I'm doing a North Korean version of this, which will be fun. Um, but to warm well, how up tall game, would Steve Buscemi be if he was Korean? No, we're still gonna see. Uh, how tall do you all guys think that Steve Buscemi is? Uh, I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna go with my original answer, which I do remember this time, which is 420 centimeters. Right, and that makes him like five seven, I think. Uh, no, that makes him like 13 feet tall. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Okay, that's true. I think we say <laughs> literally the same things every time we do this. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's I. Hey, Luke, it's never not funny to me. Yeah, yeah we're stuck in a time loop. <laughs> because I'm gonna say five seven. Okay, good guesses so far. None of them too bad. I mean, 13 feet, who knows, right? 5'7", yeah. also, it could be close. Uh, John, how tall do you think our our, uh, our handsome Steve is? Now, are we talking airhead Steve Buscemi or Mr. Deeds Steve Buscemi? Oh, definitely Mr. Deeds Steve Buscemi. Oh, Mr. Deeds Steve Buscemi. He's kind of a criminal, so he's got to be like, I don't know, 5'9", five, 5'10". Oh my, oh my goodness, guys. Once again, you both have been told his height repeatedly, and our guest is right. He's 5'9". <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Steve Buscemi is exactly 69 inches tall. <laughs> yeah. There we go, buddy. Um, so, the North Korean version... No, that I we're bet Steve Buscemi is a really attentive lover. <laughs> I feel like he is. With, I mean, with oh, 100, like you look in his eyes? Be. Especially Soprano, Soprano Steve Buscemi. He was yeah. really or bad. Boardwalk Empires. Uh, no, oh, you're yeah. so pretty. This is a fun one, since we've talked about Kim Jong-il quite a bit. How tall do you all think Kim Jong-il is? I mean, he's got to be at least 60 feet tall. <laughs> I mean, according to North Korea, he is 60 feet tall. Yeah, no, according to the official records, he is 60 feet tall. I want to say, let's go an even five feet. Okay, liking this. 
I think he's 5'4", but I think he goes along the pro wrestler route and just builds himself at at least six feet tall. All right, so we have a lot of questions all across the board. Um, John is the closest. He's actually 5'3", um, but his height is usually listed as 5'7", um, which is fine. <laughs> we usually so go I'd by say... Price is Right rules. Yeah, so John's John's at two points, so he's already won this, but we're going to have just a kind of a vanity round because it'll be fun to do. How tall do you all think Kim Jong-un is, R.I.P.? Uh, oh, he's not dead yet. He's in a coma. For the second yeah, time. Yeah, was, I was wanting to ask that. Is this a coincidence that all this happened? or This is a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Those of you who don't this know, uh, Kim Jong-un is reportedly, I don't know what the reports are because I just read the headline, but reportedly in a coma, and his sister, who is also apparently, because I haven't read any of the articles, way crazier than he is. He's just taking a nap. He's fine. Hey, yeah. she's also hotter. Right. Well, I mean, okay, I guess I can take some sauce. <laughs> if somebody killed me in nuclear hellfire, at least they were hot. Hey, yeah, that's be, the only thing I've been I living for. Be smart and good looking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think the most upsetting thing about Trump is that if he was just a little bit hotter, we'd be, like, on board, you know? I mean, yeah. I'm honestly, not probably that, some people would be if he was, yeah. like, yeah. if he didn't Ugh. look like... Like, if somebody were in a movie that looked like Donald Trump looks, they would be the villain every single fucking time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, it's Back to the Future 2 rules. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, 100%. So we gotta make sure this villain looks like he's mean to dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've even said this before, but, like, it must be so shitty having to go through every day in front of people not being able to touch your face or run your fingers through your hair. Yeah. Mm. Oh, boy. There's two things I like to do the most, in my opinion. Um, but how tall do you all think Kim Jong Un is? Uh, I'm I'm gonna say sixty nine feet. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> nice. stick with five feet. Oh, I think he's five two. Okay, well, guys, good news. Uh, John just whooped all your asses so hard. He's actually five four, uh, but oh. he also is listed as five seven. Uh, weird thing they have going on. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's crazy times we got going here. But that's been How Tall Steve Buscemi. Join us next time when our co-host will probably still forget how tall Steve Buscemi is. We'll be doing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna forget this game every time. Yeah, we'll be doing How um, Tall is Anne Hathaway. Ooh, that's a good one. She's. Oh, wait, did we actually do that? No, because we, we haven't done the episode yet. Oh shit! That's right. <laughs> this... We actually know what oh. our next episode is going to be. Like, if like... if God willing, this yeah. can happen finally. <laughs> um, John, I thought this would be fun to mention. We have been trying to record an episode with um, Aaron McDavis that's been cursed. We've had four episodes we've tried to record with him now, and uh, we're we're going to do it until it happens. So <laughs> keep it going, man. Godspeed to us. Um, I think in honor of John being here and the fact that he is part of the sound clip we use for the actual s- of the game uh, song, we got to do uh, Who the Fuck is Ron Canada? Hell yeah. So, this is one I wanted to do that I think would be perfect. Is We've been doing it where we're mixing up and we're giving you three shows that he was uh, possibly a star in. One of the shows he for sure was uh and i'm going with like the 2000 era right now um of like he's been still acting and there's a lot of shows that had a very similar thing here 
Um, I got to look up this one. Actually, you know what? You guys vamp for a little bit while I pull up this other one here. We vamping. Oh, yeah, I lost Oh. Yeah. I thought about singing for a second, but... So, in 2016, Ron Canada was in quite a few joints, and uh, I feel like these three fil- these three shows have very stupid ideas behind them that I never got really on board with. Um, but has Ron Canada been in one of these shows? Is he Was he possibly in Designated Survivor, which came out in 2016? Uh, was he in Madam President, also coming out in 2016, or The Good Doctor, 2017? I want to say designated survivor because in my head canon, he's best friends with Kiefer Sutherland. I like that. What was the first one? Uh, that was designated survivor. That's the one where everybody gets killed except for Kiefer Sutherland's in a terrorist attack, so he becomes a uh, president. Yeah, like the real thing that actually exists. Yeah. 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 Uh, was the Good Wife one of them? Uh, no, Madam President. Madam President. Is, I'm could you imagine if one. there was a lady president? <laughs> 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 a female <laughs> president? I kn- well, actually, historically, our nation says that is a crazy idea. Uh, anyways. I mean, uh, yeah, because of course they do. Garbage wasteland. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, John, what's your guess? What was the one? What was the, you said Madam President? That was the second show, and then the third show was The Good Doctor, which is about an autistic individual who's a doctor. It's a good message, but it's just poorly executed. I'm going to go Good Doctor, because that sounds really bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, guys, guess what? Luke is the winner of yeah. Ron Canada, because he was in Madam Secretary President. <laughs> um, yeah, it was... Uh, When's the last time you watched something that was on like, network television? Uh, the good place. Yeah. Uh, but you watch it on Hulu. I right? don't remember. On... I mean, I feel like I was watching it on Hulu as it was airing on NBC, so that counts, you know. Well, you guys aren't all Big Bang Theory, uh, Big Big Bang Theory <laughs> fans. <laughs> oh man, I so... the only Big Bang I like comes with spicy shrimp. I'm in a group mm. chat, and uh, Tommy Morgan's in it. He pitched the oh, idea. God damn it. Of baby Sheldon the other night, and I was so upset about it that I can only ideate suicide after reading that the line because I feel like baby Sheldon will exist at one point. That's actually that's already in so they're just they're just gonna keep yeah. going younger. Like next is gonna be like embryo Sheldon, <laughs> embryo, yeah, Sper- spermy yeah. Sheldon, yeah, fetus Sheldon. Uh, what what are you before a sperm? Um, just proteins? Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, this is this is a good. Uh, we'll go from sperm to good old plugs and And then you come back I mean, to like adult, like old man Sheldon. That's what happens. Oh, like, like an infinite time loop. That's that's a torture, yeah. a Twilight Zone style, style torture for whoever plays regular age Sheldon. It goes full. Yeah, it just goes full circle. That eventually does become like a Kubrickian film, which I would. I, I was thinking about um, television cartoons today. Like you remember, like. Somebody who's turning 20 now, they were into cartoons when they were 10, like Adventure Time and shit, but that stuff never went away like the cartoons that we watched growing up. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. Dude, sure. That is a really good point. Like, a lot of the favorites that we had from our childhoods are just unknowns now. Yeah. 
Oh no, like stuff's stuff's coming back. No one has original ideas anymore. That Ren and Stimpy reboot is going to be garbage because no one can do it right, and John K. shouldn't be allowed well, to do not, anything John anymore. I will say I loved the Rocco's Modern Life movie. Oh no, I know he's not involved. I'm just saying, like when I say like no one can do it right, I'm not saying get John K. back on it. I'm saying let Ren and Stimpy well, I, stay I dead. Yeah. Happen. Like I don't think any yeah. of those shows that they've been trying to pitch, like the the uh, Daria spinoff based on what's her name. Oh, Aubrey Plaza? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I, can you guys hear my cat meowing in the background? It's really cute. Oh, uh, uh, no, I'm not picking it up. No. Is that right. what well, that... I feel like we should It sounded like go. somebody was eating an apple earlier. Missy Elliott's got a very oh, weird okay. meow, so... Um, I do want to get to the recommendations and uh, wrap yeah. it up here, but I do want to say this is about, like, rebooted titles. Like, everyone always acts surprised about it, but, like, it's been going since... I don't know Hollywood's existed. Like, how many times have we brought back Flash Gordon at this point? It's I guarantee that's like the next one in the next few years. But they're all um, so stupid. Anyways, all versions yeah. of Flash Gordon are stupid, except for the, of course, uh, Queen soundtrack. You know that, that's, that's about the how do we not talk about yeah. the fucking soundtrack of this movie? That fucking oh, synthesizer yeah. oh, is the hardest working synthesizer in North Korea. I actually didn't mind that. I oh God, it. yes. Yeah. It, it it sounded like they just took it off a keyboard, like 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 pre recorded music for for it. Like, oh yeah, we'll we'll just we'll, this is placeholder music. We'll make something yeah. later. Yeah. This but re- then they escaped and they were like, oh yeah, we we can just we got a keyboard. It's fine. I don't know if I'll cut this up, but this is a good note. Is we should start talking about the soundtracks uh, during our episode stuff too. Yeah. That is a good note. Yeah, because sometimes they have really wacky soundtracks like this one. I'm still thinking about the score. Um, but yeah, for recommendations, I don't think we need to do plugs because we're still in the pandemic times. Yeah, we'll we'll do plugs still. What am I saying? People got yeah, just do them both in one. Them. Let's do recommendations and plugs. Recommendations. Uh, I like how you think, Luke. Smart. Um, I'm gonna go first for my recommendations, which is. Uh, I just want to, I don't know, I, I almost want to recommend the book even though I haven't read it, but it's too risky because I don't know if it's going to be good. Um, so since we're still in a very divided time and people are trying to educate themselves better, I'm going to recommend Tanahishi Coates' uh, book Between the World and Me. Um, I probably said his name all fucked up because I'm bad at reading things. Uh, but it's a really great book on the experience of being black in America and what the American dream truly means to both being a person of color and also how it's uh, betraying everything that we truly want to do that's morally just. Um, so it's a tough read, but it's very good. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. So, And uh, for plugs, I, I'm still doing a lot with Desk and Day Jobs, which is a great live play D&D podcast. We have another live stream that we're doing this Friday after this episode comes out, and then... We're basically doing those live streams every two weeks on Fridays and then our actual podcast, which you can download also from Machine Culture. So check that out. Hell yeah. Uh, I guess I, I would like to... Uh, I'd like to plug Brandon Kirkman's Twitter. That's a good Twitter. Oh, thanks, buddy. We haven't done that in a while. I'm going to plug Martin Felschman's Twitter because it's also great. Oh, thank you. I tweet once a month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're good tweets. Uh, also, uh, check out Thought Cops. Thought Cops is a, another good local podcast, and they put out stuff consistently. And they're, they're I, I, I fucking love Kevin and Grant. They're, they're just great boys. Yeah, we gotta get them back again sometime. They're, they're great guests, but they, they really run a great podcast, and they complain about the internet. And what a great time to be complaining about the internet. 
And then uh, for for recommendation, uh, I I played this game on PC months ago, but uh, it recently came out for Switch, so I was like, "Fuck it, I'll re I'll rebuy it." Uh, a short hike is just lovely. It's cute. It's very relaxing, and it's just you you just fucking walk around a mountain. You're a cute little bird person. You have conversations. It's great. I very much recommend it for anyone looking for like a, just a nice Which relaxing game? game. Oh, a short hike. Cool. I'll look into it. Yeah, it's got a very cool style too. I, I think you'd really yeah, like it, Luke. I'll look into it. Uh, I would recommend. You know what? I I started watching it last night, and I actually watched through all the episodes available so far. It's uh, Dick Town by uh, John Hodgman and John oh, Reese, right. I believe, is the other. It's, it's a cartoon that's from yeah. from uh, Cake on FXX, like that animation, like. Modern day cartoon sushi, I guess, is kind of what it's going for. But it's like mm-hmm. it's John Hodgman yeah. plays a a middle aged detective, but all of his cases are like teenager cases. Like those are all of his clients. And uh, John <laughs> Reese is his muscle and slash best friend, and he lives on a, a houseboat. It, it, it's funny the dialogue. It's a lot of good yeah, it's not a powerhouse of animation. And though I haven't looked into it, I have a sneaking suspicion that the people who animated it are the same people who did Daria, at least one or two of them. Hmm. It looks very much like Daria. But it's uh, the dialogue is really good and snappy, and John Hodgman's really funny, like his, his yeah. wordplay. <laughs> and then uh, John Reese, who's the other guy who's also co-writing it, uh, he's a super funny guy. He did How to Sharpen a Pencil, which is one of my favorite satire books ever made, so... Yeah, they're 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 Good both stuff. really funny. Like I know more about John Hodgman, and I like that. Like John Hodgman looks like himself, so I'm assuming John Reese also looks like he looks. Oh, and plugs. I got nothing to plug. Uh, go to the restaurant I work at, Les Food. Hell yeah, yeah. Support him. Yeah. The steak's pretty good. Yeah, I do have a, a recommendation. There's a there's a book by an amazing stand-up comic in Denver. Uh, his name's Sam Talent. He wrote a book called Running the Light, and it's a work of fiction. It's about an aging stand-up comic on the road uh, doing comedy, even though he kind of hates it. <laughs> doesn't know why he's doing it anymore. And Louis uh, C.K. If you guys have ever done comedy, I know you know guys on this podcast do. It's uh, and even if you don't, it's just a really cool read. Sam really gets a good perspective of somebody that's struggling with addiction being able to tell a good story about losing family. And I don't know, it's just support independent artists, buy the book directly from him. Don't go on Amazon, take time, look up Sam Talent, buy the book straight from him and he'll mail it to you with a, I don't know if he's still doing handwritten notes in there, but he gave me a little handwritten note and I thought that was really special and cool to get that from. Oh, yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I know Sam Talent is a super funny dude and I've always liked to stand up when I've heard it when he's come through Chicago, so... I'm going to say it's got to be great. Um, but yeah, John, thanks so much for joining us for this. But that's, I think, about it for another thrilling episode of Kidnapped Filmmakers Making Kaiju Films. I don't I don't think we're going to get another one of these guys, to be honest. I've, I've, there's There's got to be another one out there. <laughs> if, hey, listeners at Podzuki, as always, email us at podzukipodcast at gmail. Uh, I feel like a lot of the people who made the... Uh... 
2000, the 1999 American Godzilla probably didn't want to be doing it. Yeah, but if you know any pusher kaiju films that were made by people who were kidnapped that's not Pulgasari, please let <laughs> us know. But other than that, I think we should go out with our usual catchphrase. Let's see if we're all on the same page okay. this time. I well, we before we be. sign off, I do just want to say thanks for having me. This was a oh, lot of yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much Thank for you. being here, John. As, as always, a great guest. Uh, sorry if I talked oh. over you too much because I realized I was doing that halfway through during the episode. Ah, you guys it was are fantastic. Good. It, it's yeah. a, it's a lot more <laughs> difficult with the Discord to not talk over each other. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. But yeah. I had a yeah. good time, so yeah. I, I hope it. Tra- I hope it all translates. Oh, I for sure. Yeah. this was a good one. But um, let's let's see if we can okay. do it. You guys, yeah. Ready? Ready. Oh, yeah, we ready. All right, three, two, You're going to like the way You're going to like the way I fuck. I guarantee it. It's like we were playing an improv game. See, here's the thing. I thought last episode we agreed that it should be, you're going to like the way you fuck, I guarantee it. See, I didn't remember, but I went with you, but we were clearly all going very slow to see what the other person said. I I really thought it was you're gonna like the way I fuck. I guarantee it because I wrote it down here on our sheet and it in parentheses it's like a fusion. I saw that. Oh, yeah. it's true. Well, yeah. well I didn't write anything down, so you're probably right. <laughs> well, I say I'm gonna end the episode right here because I I want us to never have the conclusion, so we end up trying to see if we can ever get it right. Keep doing the Steve Buscemi game. <laughs> We regret that you have not yet complied with our order. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. The words get stuck in my throat. <laughs> <laughs>